City Life podcast. This podcast is all about helping you, the members of Sacred City Church, follow Jesus and the everyday normal rhythms of life. If you are not a member of our church, we want to say welcome and hello to you as well. We are thankful we're getting a little bit wider of an audience. If you do find this podcast helpful, we would encourage you to send it to your friends, to like us, rate us. That does help us uh, get noticed a little bit. Even though I don't know if we want to get noticed these days, that might just mean we get canceled faster, right? Uh, gentlemen on the podcast, would you say hello? How's it going, Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director? Kevin Kenora, Pastoral Assistant. And Rob Spexter, Pastor of Discipleship. All right. We got a listener question, and uh, this listener said this, I think you guys should do a follow-up podcast on how mainstream Evangelism, evangelism, gosh, evangelicalism, I think is what he meant, evangelicalism, has eroded a hopeful eschatology. He said, I've been listening to the history series on Canon Plus app, America, the first 350 years, and the hopeful eschatology that drove those men during that time is really evident and inspiring. Mm. That's good, yeah. So I I would encourage... Any, all of our listeners to go listen to that series. To put things really simple, what is a hopeful eschatology, Rob? Well, hopeful eschatology is one in which we uh, really recognize what God has called us to be. I mean, we were talking about earlier just in terms of the Great Commission. I think that's a great place to start in terms of helping us to know what, what has God called us to do. He has called us to make disciples, uh, not of just he says, not just of Jerusalem, not just of Samaria, not just of Judea, but of all the world. I mean, that, that there is a sense that God's, uh, the good news is to, is to permeate all of God's world. So I would say that's probably a, a way to, uh, and that, that that will occur, that that's not a, oh, I hope that happens, as mm-hmm. in some kind of, you know, throw it up and, and throw the dice and maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't. No, it is an expression, because even Jesus says there, all authority under heaven has been given unto me. So it's this idea that he is calling us to see out the gospel affecting all of life in all of the world, and yeah. that that's his intent. And then, of course, we see in Revelation, the book of Revelation, that Jesus wins. Yes. The end of human history is Jesus Christ coming back and putting all of his enemies under his feet and the nations coming Mm. to kneel before his throne to bring their riches, their wealth, the best parts of their culture Mm -hmm. into the new Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. right? Which... What a beautiful picture of this, the end of all history. The nations of the world mm-hmm. have been Christianized in such a way mm-hmm. that there's people in every single tribe, every nation, every ethnicity that are bringing... The best of the best. Can you, can you imagine? No. Into the... Into I, the I mean, yes, I'm trying to imagine, yeah. So, but here... So that's the end. Yeah. So he, the question seems to be, how... Christian is the world going to be before Jesus comes back? Mm-hmm. That's that's the question. And there are many people who come from a dispensational understanding of the scriptures that a dispensational person believes that God there's different dispensations of grace 
and I'm just going to be really general here. They believe, and, and dispensationalism has only been around for 80 years. Yeah, not very long. 80 years, I think. Mm-hmm. Popularized by James Schofield in his Schofield Bible. And he taught that we were in a dispensation that was basically going to be characterized by losing. Yeah. Mm. That we were, we were not here to win. We were not here to be victorious. We are not here to kind of take ground. That things were going to get darker and darker and darker. And kind of the light was going to go almost out on Christianity. And boom! Then Jesus was going to come back and make all things new, and Jesus is going to win. Yeah. Now, we disagree with that. Right. Yes, we do. We disagree with that worldview, and, and we don't think there's biblical support for that for that worldview. Um. And and I I almost say it doesn't make sense of so many of Jesus's parables, and it doesn't make sense of the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Like if dispensationalism were true in one sense, I hope that hope I'm not. I know there's brilliant dispensationalists out there that are smarter than me. Okay, but from my limited perspective, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, "Go and make all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you to do, and lo, I am with you until the end of the age. When I hear that great commission, I hear that the gospel, Jesus is going with his disciples, not just those 12, but all of his disciples. He's going with them. The gospel is going to be spread across the whole globe, and Jesus is going to be with us until he comes back and until he comes back. So I hear I hear a global expansion of the gospel. Now, can that ebb and flow in different nations and different continents and different sure, of course. But from that just simple you know, great commission there, I I I hear that like the gospel is going to be continually bearing fruit in the entire world before yeah. Jesus comes back. Right, right. And I think, so from that, I would get a hopeful eschatology. Now, so let me, let me describe it like this. Think of the time since Jesus Christ was resurrected to the time Jesus Christ comes back as a book. Okay. There could be chapters in that book that things move backwards. But by the time you get to the end of that book, the Great Commission is going to be accomplished. Right? It would be really weird if every chapter in that book, things got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and and then Jesus came back and all... Like, what nations would be there to bring anything in? Like, how would there even be Christians? Right. If things are getting worse and worse and worse, from the time of Jesus, if things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, by that last chapter, I feel like there'd be like (laughs) five Christians on the earth. What culture are they bringing in? What, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't think it makes sense of 
the parables Jesus taught, and of course, the book of Revelation, I think, yeah, there could be chapters in there where, where a, nation, a nation's light goes out. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Turkey and Greece, nations like that, that, that where Paul preached and there was churches planted, and now they're pri- primarily Muslim. They can go, you know, the gospel advances, the gospel goes back, but then the gospel goes out to Europe, and then there's still a global expansion. There's still, what I, right now, there's still, I think the rough numbers are something like 2 billion Christians on the face of, face of the earth. So just think about Jesus gives his great commission. There's, you know, a dozen, maybe a couple, maybe a hundred or so, whatever it is at that time. And now we've got 2 billion. Numerically, it seems like the gospel is expanding. Yeah. The influence of the gospel is spreading. Yeah, and you think about when we think of geographically, if we will. So he's we're talking about the nations. He wants the nations. So geographically, how, where has the gospel gone? Uh, you, know, you think about where the gospel is today, where it wasn't even a hundred years ago, uh, in terms of Africa, in terms of uh, Southeast Asia, uh, even in terms of countries that um, seemingly have gone backwards of some level. You think of China. I mean the the. The church there is probably growing again because they're being they're being oppressed once again. But uh, well, you know, it's, it's, they say it is. They yeah. say the church is growing exponentially in China. Yeah. And I would say even with Africa, Afri- we can with the continent of Africa. This is a great example. Saint Augustine was from Africa. Yeah, from Africa, that's right. Okay, mm-hmm. so the gospel took root in Africa. Mm-hmm early. And then there's been expansion and there's been contraction and there's been expansion again and different uh, rulers and nations within the continent of Africa. Some are, some of things are going well and some things are, are not, are not going well. But if you have a global perspective, globally, Christianity is still expanding. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we might be in America we might be in a contract. No, we are in a contraction. We are in a contraction, but that doesn't mean that that's the global reality right. of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Right, and it doesn't mean we lay down our efforts to see that kingdom, our, the kingdom of God, ex- expand here. I, uh, we we should be praying daily for revival within our own country. In other words, and I, I love the illustration you, you, you've given here, or the picture that we have, the analogy or, or metaphor that you have, and that is that it, we, it's like a book, and we got to be careful that we don't get lost in our little chapter yeah. and not realize, wait a minute, this is a whole story that God's going for, and you know, don't get lost in your chapter and think that somehow your chapter is reflective of the overall overall story. Because I would even think, you know, biblically, when we think of the Bible, uh, it's a story. And it's a story that begins great, quickly, you know, has the, has that great fall that in, uh, we're looking for a redeemer. And how we, of course, we see it at the end and we see the redeemer come to the place where he was originally, uh, actually even in a better place in one sense than he was originally, the, the, the kingdoms are coming into him. So yeah, it's, it's important that we don't get lost in the few pages that you and I are, <laughs> are occupying because, you know, <laughs> our lives are very short in comparison to the overall story. And it's really, we only take a page or so maybe in the overall story. So don't get lost yeah. on our page. And what our listener, um, the email he was he sent, he was talking about 
the people that built our country, the majority of them were shaped from a Christian worldview, but they had what we're calling a hopeful eschatology. Mm-hmm. You could say they were post-millennial Christians. They believed that their eschatology was post-millennial. They believed that they were you being used by God. They believed they were being obedient to God to start a new nation. And this nation was a city set on a hill. This nation was going to be a nation that was a Christian nation that it, that that was going to be built specifically in a Protestant vision, right? They, they weren't Catholics. They weren't, they had, a, they had a Protestant vision to see a Christian nation honor the Lord Jesus. And you have George Washington, who isn't even that great of a Christian, didn't go to church very often, but he recognized that he was under the um, Almighty. He recognized that they owed homage and blessing to God, and so he had national days of thanksgiving and prayer and um, all, all of all these things. But you, you, when you read John Adams and you read uh, George Washington and you read some of the founding fathers, you see that they they really believed that God wanted to do something unique and special with the founding of the United States. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of general. It was kind of, you know, some one, Doug Wilson has called it a mere Christendom type of vision. It was, they didn't want to have one denomination or one, you know, but it was, they wanted to build, they wanted to build a Christian nation. It seemed like what they wanted is they didn't want a, a government that was uh, under a particular church. They wanted a government that was under a particular Lord and have to yes. be Jesus Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that's how they were trying to set it up. Okay. There. So that's a very great distinction. They wanted a government that recognized one God, one Lord, one God, Yahweh, one Lord, Jesus Christ, not one church. Right. So they did not want to set up an ecclesiocracy under the Catholic church or under the Protestant church or Anglican church or whatever, or Baptist church. They wanted it under one Lord. So they wanted a mere Christendom. But they believed they were here. How are we getting our laws? Where are we getting our instruction? What is truth? What is good? What is beautiful? All of that clearly comes from the God of the scriptures. That's what they wanted. All right? And they set out with the with the Reformation worldview. Basically, what John Calvin did in Geneva, we want to do in the United States of America, yeah. right? In one sense. And they, now were there some people who believed that America was some kind of new Israel? Yes, there were some that believed that. They were mistaken, right? This is not a America the beautiful, America the great, America is a new Israel, America is the chosen people of God that's going to usher in a new world order or the kingdom of God. This isn't that. This is any nation that wants to be blessed should acknowledge God as their creator, Jesus Christ as their Lord, and as the scripture as their rule of life. And so when you hear, uh, now we haven't done a podcast on this, and the reason we haven't done a podcast on this topic called Christian nationalism is because (laughs) there are so many different versions of Christian nationalism out there that it's hard 
to nail one of them to a wall and actually talk about it. And so I am all 100% here for the founding version of Christian nationalism. Our founders' idea of Christian nationalism, I'm here for that 2.0. That's what I'm here for, okay? It's a Reformation worldview. Let's do it. We're not talking about, you know, anything that has to do with, you know, racial, you know, racial ideology or, or anything like that. That's any nation can get on this. This isn't American specific. Right. Any nation can get on this. Right. So do we want Christian nations? hundred percent. Yes. Do we want people to be Christians? Kevin, do we want people to be Christians? Absolutely. Alex, do those Christ- should those Christians want to have Christian families? Yes. Rob, should those Christians want to work at Christian businesses? Yes, they should. Should those Christian businesses want to have, you know, like maybe a Christian city to yeah, work in? 100%. Okay. Should those Christian cities want to be a part of a Christian nation? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't care where you are. If you're in Iceland, mm-hmm. if you're in Africa, mm-hmm. if you're in the United States of America, this is not teaching some kind of special calling about from the United States. Okay. It's not, it's not that it's any nation that wants to be blessed should bow its knee to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there are people out there who have a weird notion that nations can't be Christian. And I ask him, well, is your family Christian? Well, yeah. How can your family be Christian and not a nation be Christian? Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean everyone in the nation is a Christian. That's not what it means. Right. It means that we're bowing our knee to Christ and we're building our family upon his principles. Yeah. Building our business on his principles. And those principles happen to be from the creator. So he, what we're asking, what we're really saying is we want our businesses, we want our families, we want our businesses, we want, of course, our churches, we, we want our civic government to run with the grain of the universe, run with the creator who gave us great principles in order for us to find blessing when we are obedient. Now, when I say that, people immediately push back. Well, yeah, but you say we are a Christian nation, but they had, what about slavery? When I say my family is Christian, it does not mean that Everything that happens within my family is done according to the word of God. There's a whole lot of foolishness that happens in my family. I'm a Christian and I do dumb stuff. I'm a Christian and I say dumb stuff. Why? Because I am submitted. I have submitted my life to Christ. I bowed my knee to Christ. And yet there are areas that I'm ignorant of. Mm-hmm. There's er- areas of sin and rebellion in my own heart that I have to complete. I have to be reminded of and confronted with and confessed. Same with my family. Is this because uh, a lot of people are always attaching like the sin that you do to Christian, to being Christian, and to Jesus, and that's who he is because that's what you're displaying? I think it's a failure to understand that Christians, to be Christian, is not to be perfect. Mm. Like, I am a Christian. I am not Christ. Right, right. I have a Christian family. I don't have, like, like my family is not Christ. Christ is the only perfect one. Yeah. To be a Christian means to confess my sins, to confess who God is, who Christ is, who my Savior is, to bow my knee, yeah. and then to be, so I receive salvation, I receive 
justification, right? Justification. And then I begin a process of sanctification. Mm -hmm. This process of sanctification is an acknowledgement that this huge book in front of me that God has revealed, I don't understand it all. I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to have to study. Mm -hmm. I don't understand myself. I don't understand my culture. I need, there's going to be a growth. So I'm going to be growing as a Christian my whole life, right? So hopefully on the day of my death, I am far more like Christ than I was on the day of my conversion, okay? But I've been a Christian the whole time. Hopefully, my family is going to be more like Christ in one sense of of using the word Christian. My family is going to be more Christian the longer it lasts, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be more God-honoring, more submissive to the Lordship of Christ, Mm -hmm. more understanding of His Scripture, more in line with God's revealed will on the day of my death than it was on the day of my birth, right? Well, many people fail to realize this idea of progressive sanctification is also true, can also be true, families, businesses, and even nations. Mm -hmm. So our founding fathers were working off of the light that they had, the revelation of God that they had, and they did Fabulous, phenomenal work. I mean, the founding documents, right, are, are but they weren't perfect. Right. They weren't scripture. They weren't 100%, you know, they weren't revealed by God and, and divine. And so they still needed work work to be done. And when you read the founding fathers, especially, you know, the, the specifically Christian ones, John Adams and these guys like that, they recognized the evils of racism right away. They recognized it was anti-Christ, it was anti-scriptural, they, but they were realists, and they also realized we have to build a country, we have to get things done. If we outlawed slavery on day one, then we would not have beat the British. Like, we, w- we wouldn't have won the War of Independence. Because the South would have seceded right away, and then the North would have been all by themselves, mm. and then the British would have just conquered the North, and then they would have conquered the South if that's what the, if that's what needed to happen. And so they were realist, and they said, "Okay, we have to start with these founding principles, and then we're going to get to that evil later. We're going to conquer that evil later." And so, to be, we can say that our nation, one hundred percent unequivocally, was founded as a Christian nation. Mm. By the way, if you go back. The 1800s, there was a um, Supreme Court case, and it was called um, the United States versus the Trinity. <laughs> versus the Trinity. Okay, good luck with that one. It, it was like it was like Trinity Church or something. Oh, okay. But it was <laughs> okay. but, but it was titled like versus the, the Trinity. Trinity. And the 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 Supreme Court ruled, and they went into this great um, historical. Um, uh, how do I say it? Research that just said unequivocally the United States is a Christian nation. It was mm. founded as a Christian nation. Here's all the ways that we've been Christian. We've been based on the Ten Commandments. And they're like, yes, we're a Christian nation. So like, it's not even like, it's really not up for debate. I got, I got a question. I, yeah, yeah. I know we're not kind of focusing on this, but did you just, said, did you just say that Christians like kept slavery because... They just want to get stuff done, mm-hmm. and then they're going to address slavery later. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mm, okay. mm-hmm. yeah, I did, and it was. And now, I realize 
that that can sound 100% pragmatic and hor- and it you, sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it can sound horrible because you we don't understand in my perspective we don't understand what was actually going on at the time. We don't understand the historical context. So we can and I man I, and I wasn't prepared to to 100% answer this. So um, there are Oh man, this is going to how how do I say this, man? How do I say this? <clears throat> Our founding fathers by and large knew that slavery was wrong and 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 slavery was evil and yet they knew that ugh, there were things worse than slavery. I think when we study the New Testament we would have to agree that there are things worse than slavery. There are more slaves in the in the world today than there were in the founding of our country. Slavery still exists. Slavery is still a real thing. Slavery is still an evil. Our founding fathers, and I'm no scholar on this or an expert, our founding fathers knew if we were going to conquer slavery, the first thing we had to do was create a government of the people, by the people, right? Under God. Like we had to create, we have to have a coalition of people that can come together and create a government Mm -hmm. that would eradicate slavery. Basically there's, ah, man, I am not a scholar, but there are only a few ways governments Things can be done. Things can be done by tribes. You have that tribalism, mm-hmm. right? Things be, can be done by nations. And then now we've got this new thing called globalism. Tribalism, m- much of the world is ruled by tribalism. Some tribes practice slavery. Some some tribes don't, right? It's been like that from the history of the world. But the next realm up we could say is nationalism, a group of tribes or a group of states or a group of entities that come together under one banner, submit themselves to governing certain governing bodies that can unite all of these diverse tribes, people, states under one banner, and you have diversity and unity at the same time. You have unity, we're going to be a nation. We have diversity, we're going to practice that. Uh, we're going to practice, some of our practices are going to be different, right? And so you have, in the, in the founding of our country, you've, you literally have cities, states, provinces. Uh, what were they originally called? Uh, the, uh, come on. Colonies. Colonies. Okay, we're unique. We're distinct, but we want to be collective, right? We, we want something to, to bring us together. And this is the idea of being one nation. Well, the South had different ideas of slavery than, than the North, mm-hmm. right? But both the North and the South realized we didn't want to be 
under a monarchy. We didn't want to want to be under a king. We we didn't believe in the divine right of kings anymore. We didn't believe from scripture that the king could make the laws. We we believed that laws that the king should be under God, that the law is above God. Or I'm sorry, the law is above the king, not not God. The law is above the king. And therefore, we've got to have we we need to separate from Britain. We need to separate from the king. Mm. And we need to form our own commonwealth. We need to form our own, what they decided was, a nation. And yet, there's no way we're going to get all of these states, colonies, cities, to agree on every single issue right away. So we need to agree on the big major points and then work out the other ones as they go. I think it's good that you kind of broke that down because, I mean... For some people, it's like when you say go back to the founding fathers, it's like that could be hurtful. These people enslave people, all the things. So it's yeah. like hurtful. But then yeah. other people are like, yeah. well, we like you said, we had to we had to build the nation. Right. So I would say I understand that, but I would encourage my brothers and sisters to study history mm-hmm. because the first slave owner in the United States was an African American, mm-hmm. and we bought slaves from African-Americans, right? And so the practice of the slave trade was done all across the world by blacks and whites and everyone else. Whites were enslaved, blacks were enslaved, all kind of people were enslaved. Mm -hmm. And so is slavery, slavery is literally man-stealing and selling men is outlawed in the Old Testament. So it's it's a horrific evil, right? Mm -hmm. But it was practiced all across the globe, right? Um, and so, yes, our, our founding fathers, and that, 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 this was a battle. This was a battle that many people, that they, they fought hard in the beginning. Like they want, some men wanted to come down right away and say, we're not going to unite with the South because we're not going to, it's evil and we're not going to do it. But any, this is kind of, you kind of get this from like warfare, they knew there will be no nation. <laughs> if, if, uh, if we don't unite together, there will be no American nation. And we have this idea of freedom. We have this idea of a Christian nation. We have an idea of what this thing could be generations from now. And we have got to do what's necessary now to start this thing. And yes, if what we're doing now is successful and future generations, this evil of slavery will be eradicated. And we just have to be wise, Mm -hmm. right? We have to be wise right now and do, we have to take one step forward. We can't be perfectionists that we're unwilling to create a new nation until it's perfect, Mm -hmm. right? You usually don't go from paganism into, I'm going to use a weird, perfect Christian nationalism. Mm it goes in increments. Yeah. It goes step by step, stage by stage, one degree of glory to another. It's hard to make huge jumps, yeah. right? So it's like, I got to make the best law I can right now. It's not perfect, but I got to be okay with that. And now let's fight for the next one. Yeah. Let's let fight give, for the let next one. Let me give one. you maybe a personal example of uh, an individual I was able to talk to from the Ukraine, in the Ukraine, uh, that might, because this question, the question you, that we kind of went off on here is, is wondering, well, you know, if there's imperfections within, 
United States, for instance, you know, should, do we want that to be kind of spread globally? Well, no, we don't. But uh, when I was, I was in Ukraine uh, about 11, 12 years after the wall fell, so Soviet Union had collapsed. Ukraine was now a nation of itself. I was able to have the opportunity to be able to interact with a pastor there and churches there who uh, they recognized that the United States... Uh, was founded as a Christian nation. So they were saying this, and what they wanted to do to, it was to unite as churches uh, to really encourage their government to look to the United States and how the United States was founded as a means of, of really building their nation as a separate nation from, from the Soviet Union, what they had they had all understood for 70, 80 years. So I, I, said, I said, well, you do realize there's a lot of really bad things about the United States, you know, and I, you know, I gave them some examples of things that I am not proud of as, a, as an American citizen that we have promoted as, as a country and, you know, pornography being one of those and, and a, a number of other things. And he said, oh yeah. He said, I completely get that. He said, we're, we're, we don't, we don't see the United States as the answer. We see the, what they founded themselves upon that they said, as we look at the United States history, we see a country that was founded upon biblical principles, and those biblical mm. principles have blessings that come with it. So if our country can, can bring the gospel, okay, so here's the good news. If our country can live off of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we believe that our country will then have blessings like the United States has had blessings. And so I think rational, reasonable individuals can recognize that, uh, in this case, a nation we're not looking to the nation, we're looking to the principles that were underneath that nation that they see the blessings. In the same way that as I look at another family, I think a reasonable, rational person will look at a family and say, oh, you're a Christian, but I see this about you, but I recognize none of us are perfect, right? So I think that that's how a right, reasonable, rational person would, would kind of approach, yeah. would approach this. But what seems to be happening in evangelicalism, specifically in the last 30 or 40 years maybe, is that there is this over focus on the mistakes and the failures mm -hmm. and then evangelical leaders are coming out and saying therefore we were never a christian nation mm -hmm. because we didn't live up to the ideals of the constitution or the declaration of independence therefore we were never christian yeah. and no these are men who are trying they've been here for many of them for you know their families have been here for a long time you know some of them 100 years or something like that and they were trying to collect bring different people together under the banner of Christ even though some of them were deists some of them were probably atheist or agnostic but they shared they still shared a sim most of them, many of them sh still shared a similar moral vision that was shaped by Christianity. And yes, were there pagans? Yes, there were there were pagans. But even the pagans at the time agreed with, you know, the majority of the Ten Commandments, mm. and they were trying to come together and, and build a nation, even though they knew it doesn't mean that hundred percent of our people are Christians. Right. And, and, and you don't have to be a Christian to be a part of this nation. Yep. Mm -hmm. You just have to submit to Christian laws, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> right. To be a part of this nation. So by and large, we got off on a little bit of a tangent there. By and large, 
we were a Christian nation. Our founders had the, this idea that we were going to build a nation that submitted to Christ. And if we did that, God would bless our nation. But within the, all of that, they still warned. There's all kinds of prophetic warnings from our presidents and Supreme Court justices and all kinds of people that if we turned away from Christ, we would be no better than Old Testament Israel mm. and God would snuff us out. He would cut us out of the vine and he would graft in somebody else. Mm. So when we're talking about Christian nationalism or being a Christian nation, we are not talking about that America has some kind of new Israel special place in the plan of God. We are under the righteous judgment of God right now. And if we don't repent, God will cut us off, yep. cut us out of the graft as a nation, and he'll graft in somebody else. Right. Uganda and different places like that right now, they're passing more Christian laws than we are. They're outlawing homosexuality and all kind of different stuff. Mm. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're practicing judicially, they're, they're practicing their Christian faith better than we are. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, and I think just another piece of that, when we say Christian nationalism, we're not saying we force everybody to be a Christian. Because no. one, you can't even do that. <laughs> no. and, and that wouldn't be the expectation in any way. Matter of fact, that's what they were pushing back on when they came over to the United States was, was that you know, church, one church only kind of a feel to it. It's, no, it's Christ as the Lord over the nation. So when you say you're a Christian dad and you have a Christian family, are you forcing your children to be Christian? No. Oh, no, of course not. Okay. Yeah. So... Why, when we say we're, we want to be a Christian nation, do you believe? You can't, this isn't Islam. You can't force anyone to be a Christian, right. right? We're just setting up our, we want to set up our society in the way that God tells us to set it up, mm -hmm. to be blessed by God. Mm -hmm. You can choose to be a blue-haired pagan if you want to be a blue-haired pagan. You can choose to be a transgender crazy person. If you choose to be that, you can live that way, right? And you will reap the consequences, right? But it doesn't, it, it, you can live that way. It doesn't, like we're not forcing Christianity upon you, right? Mm -hmm. We just don't want to make our laws based upon a godless system. Mm -hmm. right. Okay, so anyways, a little bit of a historical aside there. Our listener asked specifically how evangelicalism has moved away from a hopeful eschatology. So the hopeful eschatology, we're building a Christian nation. God wants us to make disciples. We're expecting to have success here. God will bless it if we do. Jesus Christ's kingdom is going to come, right? The gospel is supposed to be expanding. I'm going to read this uh, parable here in uh, Matthew 13. I'll just read 31 through 32. Jesus said this, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. Now, if you don't know anything about a mustard seed, a mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds. Um, there's a company in town called Boji's Mustard, and I used to do some work with them, and know, I know them pretty extensively, and they make some of the best mustard in the world. And he gave me some mustard seed. And he gave me this. Uh, one, I, he just teaching me about it. And I said, oh, I'm going to use this. I was a youth pastor at the time. And a mustard seed is about the size of, I don't, I don't know, I would say like maybe three, like your pen size, like three tips of a pen. Very, very, very tiny. Okay. So Jesus is using an illustration of something 
the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts very, very small. Not like a watermelon seed or something like that. It starts very, very small. And that's what he says. It's a mustard seed that a man took and sowed it in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds that, that uh, in, the, in the, um, the, 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 this part of the world where he's talking about. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. Very simple illustration. The kingdom of God is something that starts very small, very, you know, unassuming, inconspicuous. And yet when you plant that tiny thing in the ground, it can grow really, 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 really big Mm. and birds can come and nest in its branches. Mm. So, So the illustration he's using is the kingdom of God starts small and ends big. Okay, to me, simple interpretation of this, that is a hopeful eschatology. Mm-hmm. Jesus's kingdom starts small, ends big. Okay, now, does it start small, get big, gets almost small again, goes back to seed form, and then Jesus shows up? <laughs> does that make sense? Here's what I feel like many people in evangelicalism believe today. The kingdom of God started small, grows huge, gets cut down, Jesus Christ comes back. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't see that in scripture. That's not the parable Jesus told. Mm -hmm. Now, part of, I'm saying this also, this past week, I spent, I spent very little time on Twitter, but there was a huge hubbub, huge Twitter rigmarole about something John MacArthur said in the past couple weeks. I think he said in the past couple weeks. John MacArthur is a dispensationalist. He's a premillennial dispensationalist. I want to say right away, I respect John MacArthur. I appreciate his life. I appreciate his ministry. He has been faithful for something like 50 years Mm -hmm. In the same church in California? In California. And took a stand recently in COVID. During COVID, took a stand, refused to close his church. I even criticized him, thinking it was an overreaction because it was early in COVID. I was wrong. He was right. And eventually, they sued the state of California and won. (laughs) And they won hundreds of thousands of dollars from the state of California. He was right. I was wrong. I do not agree with 100% of everything that John MacArthur teaches, especially his eschatology. But he just went off in a sermon on people with hopeful eschatology, and he just he emphasized over and over and over, we lose in this life. We're here to lose. We're losers. Like we are meant to be to carry our cross and to be snuffed out, and and then Christ. And it just that worldview. Number one, doesn't make sense of his own situation. Like you have a mega church, John MacArthur, in California. You seem to be winning. You literally just won against the state of California. You've been faithful. I look at his ministry. I'm like, that's been overall not perfect by any means, but it's been a success. You seem to be winning. Mm -hmm. Why are you telling everybody that we're losers, we're losers, we're losers? Your eschatology seems to be the gospel started small, grows big, gets cut down, then Christ will come. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting that you say that um, because MacArthur and, and guys in his stream are big on <clears throat> plain reading of the text, right? Word for word, verse by verse in their preaching. And so you look at the mustard seed parable and the plain reading, like you're saying, is this blossoming and not this, it grows and it gets cut down. So with that in mind, why why do you think it's so tempting for some of these guys to lean into, I, I mean, Christian defeatism? Is that a, a good way to say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I think it's good. One, I think it's because, I think Rob has already hit the nail on the head. They're interpreting scripture through their chapter. Okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In their life, I can only imagine what John MacArthur has experienced living in California sure. over the last 70 years. Mm -hmm. When he was it California is a beautiful state. Absolutely beautiful. Perfect weather all the time nearly, right? Majority of the people there when he was young were Christians. Mm. Hollywood was different. National government, state government. Sure. All of these things were shaped by Christianity and what has happened in the last 50 years of him planting a church. Mm -hmm. I mean, LGBTQ plus yep. has just absolute takeover. He is in a hostile environment. He is under attack constantly. He is mm -hmm. criticized constantly. They realize that they are in a different United States of America. They're in a pagan world. Sure. Darkness is all around them. To him, they are a lone candle in a state of darkness. Now, that's an over-exaggeration. There's sure. many churches. But a Republican doesn't even have a chance to win election in most of the yeah. big cities where, he, where they're at. You know, like the right to life, abortion, on demand, all of this stuff that's going on, he's... In my mind, he's in, he is interpreting scripture through his personal experience mm -hmm. of his chapter. Because his chapter is, things have gotten really, really, really bad. Mm -hmm. and, and listen, and also, there are scriptures that seem to talk about things getting bad. You know, in the, in the latter days and in the last days... You know, people will be haters of the truth and lovers of evil and all, yeah. they'll reject all, and they'll have itching ears. What I believe when the Bible is saying those things, I, I think they're both true. I think they're both true. I think the Bible is more wise than we are, mm -hmm. is more true than we can understand. We are small people that can't grasp the fullness of the scriptures. And guess what? As humanity expands, the seed of the serpent expands mm. and the seed of the king mm -hmm. expands. Yeah, that's good. And so you get Christianity expanding and you get demonic whatever else yeah. expanding as well. So the weed grows up with the wheat. That's the other parable. Mm. The weed grows up with the wheat, right? And just let the weed grow. Jesus said, what do you do? They sowed all this weed in our wheat. He says, let it grow. I'll take care of it at the end of days. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So do we have a lot of weeds growing up? Yes. Yep. But we also have a lot of wheat growing up and we should expect more and more wheat 
and more and more weeds, right? Mm. We should not expect the weeds are growing and the wheat's not. Mm. Right, right. No, Christianity should be expanding. Christianity should be growing. But yes, the weed is growing as well. And so I think many Christians have have adopted this defeatist mentality Mm -hmm. that misinterprets some specific scriptures in Matthew about the end of the world and the end of the age and the Antichrist and all this kind of thing to mean that we are going to lose and then Christ comes back. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's what scripture teaches. I think we're meant to expect our children to be Christian, to build Christian homes, Christian businesses, Christian cities, Christians. Christian nations. So with him breaking down the scripture, should he not bring in his own story or stop in his story? The story should always be interpreted by scripture, not, our, not yeah, scripture being interpreted good. by the story. And I think that's what's going on there okay. in this particular case. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. And our brother is also, the. Old, I'm just going to say this. It's been my experience that the older you get, the less hopeful you get. <laughs> and our brother's pushing it. He's up there, man. He's yes, up he there. Is. He's up there. He's, He's in his 70s. Long, hard ministry. Good for him. Right? Good for him. Yeah. But it is hard. It, and and I want I want you I want to hear this. I do not agree with his interpretation of scripture on this. I do yeah. not agree with his eschatology. But the dude has been doing what I want to do mm-hmm. for 50 years. Mm-hmm. He's built a church. He's built, a, he's built a family. He's built a marriage. He's built a family. He's built a church. He's built a school of ministry that's training up the next mm-hmm. generation. He's resisting the government when mm-hmm. the government is overreaching. He's, They've and, got a college. They've got a the, seminary. The, I mean, the, Yeah. In one <laughs> sense, the brother is living like a hopeful eschatology. Yes, he really With is. a hopeful yes. eschatology because he's building the institutions that will yes. propagate the gospel yes. for the next generation. Yes. I just think he's misinterpreting. I think he, so. I've heard it said this, and I heard this recently on a on a podcast that he might have the wrong eschatology, but he's actually got the right. We call this praxis, mm-hmm. right? The actual orthopraxy. So there's orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is the right teaching. Mm-hmm. Orthopraxy is the right practice. My brother has the wrong orthodoxy, <laughs> but he's got the right orthopraxy. He's actually doing the right thing, and I'm 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 thankful for that. So, question here: We were just talking about TikTok earlier. Did somebody get a 10 second clip of this, <laughs> and they just missed the whole sermon of what he was saying and took it out of context? No, no, okay, it's in context. Okay. He he actually goes off on post millennialists. Okay. He actually goes off on people with hope, hopeful eschatology, and it's this. It's the strangest. Can you imagine telling your son before the game, you're going to lose? <laughs> hey, I want you to go out there and play hard, but you're going to lose. Mm, wow. Like, what does that do to us? Where's the hope in that? Where's the hope in that? Like, God built us to win, God built us to build. Why would I build a Christian family? If we're all just going to lose. And we serve a king that if you read the scripture, he's already won. Yeah. <laughs> just wait for him. He's already won. Right. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. And so there's many. I, here's why. I don't want I don't want men and women we to lose hope. Yeah. I, I think, I think we can. Now, listen, 
I think we can push back the darkness. I think we can win, not because of us, because of Christ, our King, because the gospel changes hearts, because the gospel, if the gospel permeated our, our country once, why can't it do it again? Why can't it do it again? If we Christianize the West once, why can't we Christianize the West again? Why can't it be better the second time? Right. Right? Yeah. I want us to be formed by that vision. Because if you interpret the, vi- the end by our chapter, guys, it, yes, it, it's not very hopeful. We, we are not, we don't think, I do not think we can be Christianized with me living and breathing. But what could my kids do? Right. What can my grandkids do? We're now thinking generationally. That's what yeah. we have to be thinking. And let me just add this. The woke, TikTok, purple-haired, LGBTQ+, what are they going to do in the next generation? They're castrating themselves. I don't have one. They're castrating themselves. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. There are no, there is no next generation for this woke class. If they don't know what a woman is and a man is, then they can't figure out how babies are made. <laughs> there is no next generation. So I, 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 wanna, I want us to raise the next generation and the next generation because that's the hope of the world. That's the hope of the world. Yeah. Right? So we, so I, I'm not, I'm not criticizing John MacArthur. He's living like a post-millennial. All right. He's living like a happy, uh, he's living like in one sense, like a happy, positive es- with an eschatology, yeah. but he's teaching, he's teaching like a curmudgeon old dude who's on his deathbed. That's ready to give up and go be with Jesus. And Hey man, you fought the fight. Pass the mic. Yeah. <laughs> Pass it, bro. Who's your protege? Yeah, bro. You fought the fight. You finished the race. That's good. You're, you're looking at a world that's, that is far more dark than the one you inherited. And for death and glory, go out. I get it. Go out, man. And you're right. And, and I want to say he's right on both fronts. The world is darker, right? And yet you built and you, you built something that was... That's going to outlast you, I think, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's what we need to do. So we need to build, guys. And I'm thankful, like, Kevin, you're building your counseling degree, you know, your counseling business Mm -hmm. that you're working on it right now, that we're building a church here. We're building missional communities. We're building families. We got Christian entrepreneurs all throughout our church that are here for the next generation. We're here, you know, to not only build Christian families, but build Christian businesses. Mm. We're, I'm over, you know, I'm, I spent eight hours building a Christian institution today. Literally, I'm putting up walls. I'm hanging drywall. I'm doing this not for me, but for my kids and for my kids' kids, yeah. right? And so we win. And, and the podcast I was listening to today talked about there are post-millennialists who supposedly have a uh, positive eschatology, and yet they're sitting at home reading books. And a positive eschatology shouldn't just lead you to sit at home and read books. It should have you read books and then get out and build. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the words of Nehemiah, rise up and build. Mm -hmm. Sword in one hand, shovel Mm -hmm. 
whatever, a tool in the other hand, a computer in the one hand and a sword in the other hand <laughs> and rise up and build for the next generation because King Jesus expects to win. Mm -hmm. he, no, not expects. He's going to win. Yeah. And he's either going to win through your family or through somebody else's family. So get in on this, yeah. right? In uh, Matthew 13, he goes on to say, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven, yeah, till that. it was all yeah. leaven. Permeated. What does that mean? That means, what does <laughs> leaven do? Leaven works its way through the whole dough. So if we are leaven, we're meant to work our way through the whole city, through the whole state, through the whole country. And so, yes, I am really concerned about the state of our nation. Yes, I look at the big cities and I go, they're beyond gone. They are going to be a dystopian, you know, Mad Max film real soon. That's what I look at. But but I was not yet. And yeah, we are headed that direction if we don't rise up and build. But Christians, let's rise up and build. Let's do it. Let's have that hope, hopeful es eschatology. Any other thoughts, guys, from you? It's good. No. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, that was uncharted territory for us. That was all off the top of our head. And so <laughs> uh, if you have any questions, you want to challenge any of these ideas, you want further expansion on these ideas, uh, please email me, justindeen at sacredcitychurch.com, and we would love to do a follow-up podcast. So we love you. We're praying for you. Rise up and build. God bless. God bless.